Our reading for today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day, night, and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm not, and people who know me well probably know this already, I'm not, by nature, a gift-giving person. I like to be generous, you know, when the moment presents itself. Uh, I'd like to buy a lunch, cup of coffee for somebody, you know, that sort of thing. Um, But on the whole, that's not the way I naturally show love. I like doing stuff with people, you know? I like hanging out with people, spending time. I like talking, obviously. Um, You know, I like handshakes and hugs. Like that's, you know, those are the ways that I tend to do love you know, but some people are more gift oriented. And, um, you know, when, when I, you know, when I walk through a store, right, I've got my list, boom, 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 I'm out the door, you know, but some people, when they walk through the store, they're walking by, they see something on the shelf, they're like, you know, who'd really love that? And maybe, you know, maybe they actually do, they'll pick it up, and they'll give it to that person. Those type of people, when it comes time for the obligatory gift givings, you know, like birthdays, Christmas, right? They tend to be really good at picking something useful or meaningful to that other person. Now, as I said, this doesn't come naturally to me, but I've also come to recognize that that doesn't get me off the hook, right? If you're not a natural gift giver, this is still a, a worthy skill that you should cultivate. So I'm just, as, as somebody who's maybe not as good naturally, as I'm, I'm trying to learn this stuff. I want to share with you one of the lessons I've learned uh, from talking to and watching some of the better gift givers I know. When, um, when I was a kid, the way I thought you could tell a good gift was the reaction when they opened it, you know? They open it, they scream, they jump up and down. They're like, yeah, I nailed it. You know, that's fine. That's fine. But that's not the best measure. A much better way of measuring if you got the gift just right is whether or not you see them use it later on. 
Some of you gift givers in here are like, yeah, obviously. Okay, well, for people like me, this is a revelation, right? If you catch the person later on, you know, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, wearing, they're wearing that tie that you gave them, you know, or they're reading that book or telling you about the book that, they, that you read, you know, that you gave them and they read. Um, maybe, they're, maybe they pull, you know, whatever, that, that pen out of their pocket or out of their bag, whatever it was, you gave them that gift and then later on, they're using it. That's how you know you gave a good gift. But that does put all the pressure on the gift giver. There is a flip side to this too, you know, because sometimes you might get a really good gift, something that's really thoughtful, something that's really useful, but for whatever reason, maybe you neglect it. Um, a while back, a while back, my mother-in-law gave me a banjo. This isn't a joke. This is, this is real. Um, and she didn't do that out of the blue. Like, she knew I was kind of interested. Banjos are, banjos are cool. I don't care what you tell me, Jim. They're cool, okay? <laughs> Yeah, jury's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she knew that I wanted one. She'd been on the hunt for a while. You know, she likes to do the thrifting, the antique thing, that whole thing. And so uh, rather than just go to a music store and buy one, like, you know, most people would, that's not how she rolls. And that's fine. She found one. She gave it to me as a gift. And I really liked it. I really appreciated it. Um, I, I took it down to the to the local shop, made sure it was all set up properly. I I shined up all the chrome myself, tuned it, and I played it a little. But mostly, mostly it hangs on a hook in my living room. And it's nice enough as a decoration. I mean, it does look kind of nice up there. But that's not why she gave it to me. And that's not why it was made. It was made to be played. That's not the fault of the gift giver, right? That's just on that's just on me. In our reading today from Second Timothy chapter one, Paul told Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. Let's unpack that a little bit. What gift is he talking about? Is it a banjo? <laughs> Probably not. What does it mean to fan it into flame? Well, a little context would be helpful. The verse before, Paul is talking to Timothy about the inheritance of faith he's received. Your grandmother, your mother, now I'm sure that faith is in you. That's a weird way to say it. I'm sure that faith is in you. It's like, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a nut inside this peanut shell. I haven't seen it yet, right? I'm sure that faith is in you. Yeah, maybe he's certain, but maybe also he's saying, I'm certain, but I'd like to see it, right? So he says, so fan into flame the gift of God. I think, I think what he's saying is that that faith of yours needs to be fanned into flame. Now, 
but maybe it's not just faith, right? Because after faith, a whole lot of things result from it, right? Faith is going to uh, snowball into a lot of other gifts, but maybe, maybe just we could just stay here for a moment. That gift that needs to be fanned into flame is, is faith. And it's definitely true that the faith we have is a gift of God, right? You can't take credit for your faith. It doesn't work that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's not the only verse, but that's a nice, tidy one, right? Honestly, I think most of us already get this point. This is, uh, if you weren't aware, I'm just going to let you know, this is a Lutheran church. And uh, one of the things Lutherans understand about the Holy Spirit is that he's the one in charge of faith. He's the one who delivers the faith to you. He is the one who prompts you to believe. He's the one that keeps you in the faith. There's a lot of other stuff about the Holy Spirit. We Lutherans don't talk about that much that maybe we should. But this part is what we get, right? The Holy Spirit is the guy in charge of the faith. You probably learned that from an early age. That's not all he can or will do. But, but a lot of that other stuff that he can and will do, they all come back to that anyways, right? If he does a miracle, it's because he wants people to believe. If he puts words in your mouth, it's because he wants people to believe, right? So that's at, the, that's at the heart of everything. So if this faith you have is a gift of the Holy Spirit, then if, if the work of the Holy Spirit is delivering, keeping the faith, then why does Timothy need to fan it into flame? Doesn't that just happen, like, automatically? Because the Holy Spirit... Well, I have a banjo hanging on my wall, but I'm not getting any better at playing it because it's mostly hanging on the wall. It's there. Nobody's taking it from me. It's not going anywhere. I'm not going to lose it. But if I put in some time, put in some effort, it might actually make some music, you know? There's nothing wrong with the gift. But the guy it was given to has some growing to do until its potential is realized. You have been given this incredible gift by the Holy Spirit. You've been given this faith, this saving faith. It can accomplish a whole lot. But only if you put it to work it can grow. God wants it to grow. But it won't grow if you neglect it. So what holds us back? What stands between having that faith privately in our hearts, a little flickering flame, and putting it to work? Well, it could be a lot of it could be inattention. It could be distraction. It could be busyness. It could be a sense of trying to handle it on your own. It could be pride. But I think a lot of those are secondary. I think the, the first primary big obstacle between you having faith and you putting it to work 
is fear. Well, where does that come from? Where is that fear from? The devil. We want to say the devil. That's our instinct, right? Well, the devil, he's trying to squash it. He's trying to suppress it. Maybe, right? He could be deliberately trying to assault you. He might be deliberately trying to stifle what God has for you. Maybe, and sometimes yes, but I don't think it always is. It could just be kind of natural. I want you to think about the best things in your life. I want you to think about your first time riding on a roller coaster. I want you to think about your first time driving a car. Your first crush. Think about getting married. Think about having a kid. Think about interviewing for a job you really want. Think about the decision to retire. Of the things on that list that I've experienced, all of them were front-loaded with fear. All of the things on that list. Until I'd done it. What if fear held you back? What if you didn't apply for that job? What if you didn't ask her out? What if you missed out on some of those wonderful things because you couldn't bring yourself to try? I believe that God has some amazing adventures in store for you. I think he has some miracles up his sleeve that he'd like to do to show you just how real and just how powerful he is. I think fear stands in the way of that a lot of times. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, fan it into flame. Because God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. Not fear, but self-control. You know... When someone's drowning, the drowning person is dangerous to other people, right? Because they flail about. They don't control themselves. They panic. Um, y'all know, uh, y'all, I'm sure most of y'all know, I do karate, right, with my son. And uh, part of that is sparring. You know, we, we fight each other. And we're friends, so we're not trying to hurt each other, right? So it's controlled. But you know what? You know who's the most likely to hurt somebody? The new people who don't have the control, right? When you go through life in fear, reacting, defensive, you flail about. The opposite of that fear brings self-control. You can breathe, you can slow down. We can take time to ask, 
what God wants in this situation. You don't have to just react from whatever your gut is. You don't have to be prisoner to your instincts and your impulses. You can do what's right. You can do what's good. You can do what's noble. We read um, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego today in the fiery furnace. And it's a story just like this. The instinct is to cave in, to bow down, to avoid the flames. But they aren't afraid. They're able to exercise self-control. They pause, they breathe, they say, no, I will do what's right. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. When we move past being defensive and being reactive, trying to preserve our own life, suddenly we can start looking at the people around us, even the people who want to be our enemies, with love. We're set free from trying to protect ourselves because God is our protection. We're not afraid. Not fear, but power. You ever been helpless? You ever felt helpless? You know what you do when you feel helpless? Nothing. You freeze up. You paralyze. And it's a terrifying feeling. But you weren't given a spirit of helplessness. You weren't given a spirit of fear. You're given a spirit of power. There's no situation that we face helplessly. Maybe you can't just snap your fingers and make it what you want. But you can always pray. You can always testify. You can always stand up for what's right. Even the grave itself can't match the power of the Holy Spirit who's raised Christ from the dead and now lives in you. That's the picture of courage that we're given by the Holy Spirit. Power, tempered with love, lived out through self-control. I think sometimes uh, the cynical parts of us maybe think about courage as something like being foolish enough to try and lucky enough to succeed. But that's not the picture we get of godly courage. The spirit of courage that overcomes fear comes from confidence in the power of God. It comes from trust in God's goodwill and heart for you. It comes from the assurance that even if you fail, his grace is sufficient for you. After all, let's get to these latter verses in the, in the reading. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. The fear of failure and all that comes along with it should be taken off the table. As long as you're afraid of failing, you're still focused on what you bring to the table. You were called for his purposes. And he didn't bother looking at your qualifications. He called you, specifically you, to serve him, to bear witness to him, to be bold, to live out in faith. And, and don't you think he'll be there with you if you do it? Don't you think he'll be there empowering you if you just obey and follow the calling, even if it's scary? 
Don't you think he's invested enough in his own plans to see them through to the end? You have inside you the Holy Spirit and the faith, the the flame of a faith that you've been entrusted with, passed down to you probably from generations past. And we can keep it a little flicker in our hearts. But we're being invited today to fan it into flames. And there's a world of opportunity out there for us to use it, to put it to good use in power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we start with thanksgiving. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who has delivered us the faith, who nurtures it, who's got big plans, and he's including us in them. Lord, we repent of our fear. We repent of our pride that says that, uh, that we're too important and too enabled to do it. Lord, we trust in you. We trust in your power. We pray that by faith we would let go of fear. By the Spirit we would be encouraged to be bold, to speak your name without being ashamed to pray big prayers, to take chances, to follow your lead, and to trust in you, to be faithful. Give us courage, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.